This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Steel 2.0. They just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at Kent Cartridge. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode 705 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Little Willie Nelson to get things going for us. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. We've got a good one lined up for you today. And I'll tell you all about it momentarily, but first, man, this buck at the deer lease has just been giving me fits, completely ghosted me this past week. I actually wasn't even supposed to be at the deer lease. Um, I went coos deer hunting in Mexico, flew back Sunday night, was supposed to get on a plane to Boston on Monday morning, basically long enough to kiss the wife and kids and then back on the road for a sea duck hunt with Kent Cartridge. But due to a severe weather system on the East Coast, that, that trip got canceled. The outfitter was like, uh, it's, it's dangerous and we're not going to see any ducks. So, I mean, the dangerous part of being in the ocean with uh, violent storms, not real appealing. <laughs> so I was super bummed. That had been a, a bucket list hunt for me. I'd never been sea duck hunting. Uh, so I was a passionate waterfowler. That's very high up on my 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 ultimate bucket list. But uh, it'll have to wait till next year. There weren't any other available dates where Kent, Cartridge, and, and myself could make it work out. So, super bummed about that. But I did have a chance to go to the deer lease because uh, we already had all hands on deck as far as childcare was concerned. And Aaron was like, she, she knew that I want, like, this buck was, it's a really nice buck. Probably in the 150s, which for our, our lease is, I mean, they don't, they don't get much bigger. And uh, she was like, just go. So the dog and I went for a little deer and duck hunting therapy to lick our wounds from the, the sea duck hunt being canceled. Not that JoJo was flying to Boston with me, but uh, we headed off for the lease, and that buck just didn't want to play ball. 
I mean, he was coming in every afternoon just about around 5.45, so still 15, 20 minutes of legal shooting time, daylight, and uh, I'll be danged if I didn't sit there. Well, we couldn't sit in the pop-up because the east wind was completely wrong from the direction I, I think he was coming from the neighbor's place. So I ended up sitting under a mesquite tree every sit. Uh, perfect wind. Does came in. A nice young eight-point came in. But, uh, yeah. And one day it was raining so hard I even wore my waders to sit there. <laughs> wore my waders deer hunting. Uh, just sitting under a tree with the with the tripod. Got the 300 wind mag on the tripod. And uh, he came in one time at 4 a.m. And then another time at 6.30. So it was pitch black still at that time. Um, but, yeah, he he hung out for about 10 minutes and boogied on out of there before the sun came up. So, And there's no way he knew I was there. I walked in a long way with the perfect wind, uh, sat completely still. But I don't know. It's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, we JoJo and I did get uh, a few ducks as a consolation prize. We duck hunted one morning. Um, that was the morning he came in at 4 a.m. So I saw that when I woke up and was like, eh, we're going duck hunting. <laughs> and we got a couple teal, saw a bunch of pintails. Uh, one trake came in by himself and was floating there at about 40 yards. And I was like, nah, he'll come back. And, of course, uh, he didn't. So I was kicking myself for not taking that shot. Uh, but got some teal, could have shot a pile of ringnecks, um, a few gadwall. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a good time though. Shot some pigs as, uh, as we tend to do out there. Tons of pigs out in Knox County. Um, but anyway, that's what big bucks do. Make you, they give you fits. They keep you up at night. And, uh, it's the first thing you, you think about when you wake up. Probably the last thing you think about when you go to sleep, I'm sure. Many of y'all can relate. Anyway, what are we doing today? Well, first of all, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up Stanley Thermos because off the top, we're heading to Colorado to get into this mountain lion issue that animal activists, yahoos, are uh, really trying to dig in here and destroy Colorado's rich hunting heritage by banning the take of all mountain lions across the board. That's it. No more mountain lion hunting. Uh, we are we are in a very perilous position as a hunting community. If this goes through, uh, I think the fallout can be devastating. And SCI's Western Big Game Liaison, Chris Timison will be here. And we will dive in deep on this topic. And then coming up here at the uh, bottom of the hour, We'll head down to Sonora, Mexico, where uh, my friend and passionate big game hunter and adventurer Sawyer Herndon and I recorded uh, a conversation on our coos deer hunt while sitting in a uh, Mexican deer camp. So everything you want to know or need to know about coos deer hunting, it's a a subspecies, a very small subspecies of white-tailed deer, by the way, uh, but coos deer hunting in old Mexico. So that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Uh, Let's do a quick giveaway here. And since I just happen to be wearing this Goose Down SCI vest, it's really super stylish and uh, comfy, um, we'll give one away. 
and we'll throw in an SCI annual membership. So like $150 value. It's Hunter Green Vest. I love this thing. You can wear it hunting or you can wear it uh, to the bar, whatever you want. Wear it to family Christmas, but uh, we'll give one away. And all you need to do is email Safari Club, that's Safari Club, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's SCI giveaway. Coming up next, it's the Colorado Mountain Lion Saga. This thing is just getting going, uh, but we need to make sure everyone is educated and aware of the potential fallout. We discuss right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Promising each other we would always stay true. Just two kids dreaming away life like fools. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Hard Candy Christmas, there's a classic from the great Dolly Parton, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today, as we're about to get into what I believe to be the most pressing anti-hunting slash anti-conservation, because you know if uh, hunting loses, so does conservation. But I believe it is the biggest thing that we're going to have to overcome as a community in 2024 and uh, we'll we'll get into that momentarily with Chris Timison of SCI he's the western state and local liaison for SCI uh, in the uh, government affairs division across the west first though this segment brought to you by SCI here's the cool thing the best convention on the planet is taking place January 31st through February 3rd in Nashville it's the SCI annual convention. I went last year. Man, let me tell you, Nashville, such an awesome city. Uh, obviously, great music, nightlife, but it is a clean city. No crime. There's cops everywhere. You can walk wherever you want. You feel safe. It's absolutely gorgeous. Tons of great food. And then the convention itself, the entire global hunting community will converge in Nashville for four amazing days. They've got entertainment from... Um, let's see here, 38 special, Big and Rich, Foreigner, and even Jason Aldean. And say what you want about Jason Aldean's music, but hey, uh, if the left is trying to cancel the dude, you know he's doing something right, which uh, that, that song, what was it called? Try That in a Small Town or something, drew all that backlash. Um, so yeah, uh, I support Jason's uh, effort and his message on that song for sure. But uh, it's going to be an amazing time. Hope to see you there again January 31st through February 3rd in Nashville. For more info, head over to safariclub.org. I will see you there. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. Chris Timison, the Western State and Local Liaison for SCI across the West. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So where are you uh, joining us from? Well, right now I'm in Dewey Beach, Delaware for the National Assembly of Sportsman Caucuses meeting. Okay. <laughs> I, flew, I flew out this morning. I got up at 3.30 and 
drove to the airport and caught a flight and then drove from Baltimore to here. There's no easy way to get here. Oh, right on. Well, thanks for doing that for us, for all of us. <laughs> yeah, sure. So what are you, generally speaking, what is your uh, what is your job description with SCI? So I'm the Western State and Local Liaison, which means I do government affairs across the West. I'm based in Kansas City on the Kansas side and uh, spent the last 22 years before I came to SCI as the working for the wildlife agency there. Okay, right on. So, Partly my familiarity with, you know, Western stuff Uh into this job. So, well, and that's what I want to talk about today. Um, Colorado seems intent on becoming California's little brother. Like everything California does, Colorado's like, oh, yeah, we we should do that. You know, like when it comes to wildlife management, Uh, California banned cougar hunting in the mid 90s. Then I think it was like 2011, 2012. They came along and said, no more, no more black bear and bobcat hunting with hounds. That's bad. Can't do that. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, they just said, no more bobcat hunting, period. It's a protected species now. No science to support it. Uh, Colorado, in their infinite wisdom, you know, voted to reintroduce wolves, which that's happening. Uh, they let the, the general population have control of that, and it, it barely passed. I am concerned that they're about to do the same thing with mountain lions. I think the entire hunting community feels the same way. History says when given control of the, the vote, the people are going to do the wrong thing. They just did it. Um, what are you seeing as far as people on the inside talking about how they think this is going to play out? All right. So, like I said, I cover the West. My busy states uh-huh. are Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, right. New Mexico, right? Uh, actually, California's kind of taking the back seat in this whole game to Washington State. Right. Colorado's right. next in line. So, um, I saw this funny meme the other day of the. Uh, all these hippies dancing around a campfire on a beach and it's it, it said actual footage of the washington game commission meeting <laughs> <laughs> yes so the washington game commission fishing game commission fish and wildlife uh difficult scenario in washington right now yeah colorado is still savable um uh-huh. so there are two petitions uh, one just got reintroduced right before Thanksgiving in Colorado on the same topic. So the first one was just talk about the subject generally. Mountain lions, bobcats, lynx were petitioned to ban hunting and trapping at the commission level. That failed. Then they went, the proponents went to the legislature and that failed. And so now they're taking it to the voters because they think they're emboldened by the wolf reintroduction ballot measure that passed by 12,000 votes. Mm -hmm. So do I think it's beatable? Yes. I think Colorado is still a winnable state. Um, So that now they've introduced one petition or got one petition um, written up that would ban bobcats, lynx, and we know lynx are federally endangered and we can't hunt and trap them anyway. Right. And then not lions. And also in Colorado, you can't use leg hold traps. It's all box traps. So really what they're banning would be box trapping. So they're trying to shut down hunting. That's essentially what it boils down to. 
So the first petition um, was filed, and then we're SCI is part of a coalition of folks who are challenging this this petition and the issue. And, and uh, Kyle Radens for Responsible Wildlife Management, Dan Gates uh, leads that, and he's really taken a lead role in this process and uh, challenged the ballot language, the title language at the title board. And it talks about trophy hunting and they call And if you read down into the ballot measure, it actually says that all hunting is trophy hunting, essentially. Yeah, we don't need it. No. Right. Yeah. So they, they're trying to use the language of trophy hunting to mean it's bad and therefore it should all be banned because it's all trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the, at the title board, uh, the coalition and the folks opposing it were successful in getting trophy hunting stricken from the, from the title. And then that's since then, since then has been uh, appealed to the Supreme court. And so of Colorado, and so they have to rule on that issue. And I think the briefs are due around the 18th of December. So that's massive. And I just want to explain like if, the term trophy plays on people's emotions, right? It's yeah, like for, absolutely. So, so for the uneducated person, the casual Coloradan just like lives in Denver, maybe they go hiking a little bit, you know, enjoy their granola, they move to the mountains, yada, yada, yada. Like they don't know what that means, trophy hunting. They just assume that all hunters are out there. It, 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 may, it paints us as people that just go out and shoot stuff for the head, you know, or the, right. the you know, the antlers or whatever. Um, which we all know I'm, I'm not, I'm just going to say it. I'm a trophy hunter. I could give a crap, but a trophy is more than just the headgear. It's the food. It's the experience. Um, we've had to kind of distance because they've made it this nasty word um, that it isn't. And, and initially, if you go back, just say two decades ago, the term trophy hunter meant, uh, and it still means that I'm hunting the oldest, most mature male of the species who's, you know, he's already sown his wild oats. This is the right animal to take from a population management perspective. Um, but but they don't care about that. And now they've turned what was something good into something nasty. Um, and so it plays on the heartstrings of these, the the average Colorado, like I was just saying. It's not really invested. Probably doesn't really care one way or the other. But when you say trophy and you tug on their heartstrings, they're going to say, you know, I know what, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. Right? I mean... So to, to get this taken out, to get this stricken from the title, is paramount. I mean, we ha- we absolutely have to do it. If we don't do that, I don't I don't know how we win. I think that's a big victory for sure. Yeah. In that, so that's going on. But at the same time, right before on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving at four twenty seven in the afternoon, they filed the second petition, and this one's a lot more succinct and. Also, again, the idea is just to shut down all hunting. It, but the second petition actually has a two-week window where you could hunt December 17th or something like that to January 31st. So, you know, there it's a much more calculated petition, in my opinion. And so that now has to go through that same process. So there'll be, uh, you know, the title board and then challenge that. And then it goes. it'll probably go to the Supreme Court again once it gets done. Okay. Uh, well, let's 
dive into that in more detail after the break, as well as um, where is Colorado Parks and Wildlife in all of this? Like, why isn't their opinion out there from you know a scientific standpoint? Uh, all that and more coming up. That segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. Why don't you get that hunter in your life, the glass that he's always wanted, whether that's a new binos, a new rifle scope, range finder, uh, spotting scope, you name it, they've got it all. And if you shop at eurooptic.com, you can save 10% off your entire Vortex order with that promo code LONESTAR10 when you check out. We'll be right back after the break. sheets on the line. Let me tell you about the Armorsite 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armacore 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Bad luck was always hanging around. A good roll was always letting. The name of that one from Zach Top bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as we are still talking Colorado Mountain Lions. What in the world is going on? Whew, it's a doozy, and uh, it could be very, very bad, or uh, it could be a resounding victory if we are able to, if we're able to win in Colorado. I'll tell you what. Uh, that will give me hope for the future, but I am very skeptical based off of recent history. Let's dive back into it as we've still got uh, Chris Timison, our SCI Western State and Local Liaison for Government Affairs here with us. Uh, thanks for sticking around, Chris. And I think what needs to be asked here is where is Colorado Parks and Wildlife in all of this? Because I don't see them commenting, and uh, I actually reached out to them when the Wolfrey introduction plan was proposed and became a ballot initiative and uh, knowing that historically Colorado Parks and Wildlife opposed Wolfrey introduction, but they didn't comment two years ago. And so I, I asked the lady, I said, where, where are you guys on this? And this was the PR director for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. She said, we, we have no comment. And I said, well, so is there a gag order? Why can't you comment? You're the paid biologist of the state that is you know supposed to manage the wildlife she goes no there's no gag order but uh we just we're not commenting and i was like okay well uh then that sounds like a gag order there's a state know. law in colorado that Do says I? that they 
there's state law in Colorado that says they can't comment on oh, really? okay. measures. Yeah. Yeah. So the agency is constrained by law. So and it's a gag order, so, basically. It is yes, a it's, a, it's a state <laughs> gag order. But, you know, you can say that and if you want to throw the legislature under the bus for passing that rule or, you know, you don't, we're just not going to comment versus the governor's. You know, you don't want to throw your governor under the bus, too, or whatever your right. response is. So I understand why she said that. But sure, the, sure. the law is the law and they can't comment on a ballot measure. Uh-huh. Uh Well, historically or did so they have basically no nothing to do with this. Like they're removed. They have taken the biologists they pay to manage the wildlife. And they have said, you know what? You guys go ahead and see yourself out. We don't need you as a part of this deal. Yes, that's true. I mean, how much sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense at all. I think so. You have people who have decades of experience in managing wildlife, and they're not allowed to say anything. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I've actually I actually killed a mountain lion in Colorado, twenty sixteen or seventeen ish. Uh, we did three hunts um, over three years. And we caught some females and, you know, we were trying to get a big Tom. We let them go. I'd come back the next year with the same outfitter. And finally we, we ended up killing a female and I've told this story on the air, but it was uh, because this cat had started killing this dude's horses. And he was like, Hey, I don't know if it's a male or female, but it's killed two of my foals. When you catch it, if you catch it, please fix, you know, take care of the problem for me. So that cat wasn't going to stop killing livestock once it started. So it was a problem animal. Um, there were, there were plenty of mountain lions and there that's the other thing that the average the the person that's falling victim to that term trophy uh they don't they probably don't realize the strict seasons quotas uh different uh units you know once you reach x x amount of cats or if a couple females get killed well then they they close it down you, it's it's very tightly managed um i think that might that certainly needs to be a part of our messaging right like going forward that, hey, it's not all willy-nilly. You can't just go out there and just, uh, you know, kill cats until you're blue in the face. Right, right. I, I think, you know, people who can speak, though, are retired biologists. They'll, they'll have credibility, you know, because they've been in that system. And they're also not constrained by state law, mm -hmm. like the agency personnel are. So that's one option. You know, I'm a former agency person. You know, I, I'm not a biologist. I'm a lawyer by training, but I spent two decades plus in wildlife management. And so that people like me or actually the biologist, not just but just former agency personnel that they can bring credibility to that conversation. Yeah. Well, so. What is your honest opinion, though? I mean, you, you said you think Colorado is salvageable if we weren't able if, if we, so is it a finalized deal? Trophies out. They can't use the term, or is at the Supreme Court where they could say, "Yeah, we might allow it. We might not." Like, right? It's at the Supreme Court, and so I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, and then there's the second petition, and so from here, you know, assuming the second petition gets challenged to the Supreme Court, you know, you're talking about a decision in January, and then they have to have. I think they have to gather signatures over. Like it's got to be all finalized by March and then the signature gathering and then you get it on the ballot and, and vote in November. So when I say it's salvageable, there's a lot of steps in this process mm -hmm. to to 
have challenges and to do messaging. Uh, so I do think that uh, Colorado is not is not lost on this issue. You know, you look at Wolves and it passed by 12,000 votes. I don't know where that started because I wasn't with SCI at the time, but that's a pretty negligible number, really. And yeah, it was like by a percent or something. It yeah, it's like a tenth of a percent, right? I mean, it, ninth of, you know, nine tenths of a percent or something. It was real low number, right? So if you can influence in that process and get your messaging out, I think it's still salvageable if it gets to the ballot. Presumably, they'll get signatures. I think they'll get the signatures. I mean, right. you, know, you get all the anti-hunting activist groups involved, and they're going to get they're going to you know reach out to their constituents. They're going to get the signatures. I, I don't doubt that they will will get that. So I think it will go to the the ballot. Um, it's up to us. I think this is I think this is the biggest fight that we are facing, certainly in this election uh, cycle possibly in the last four or five years, because um, if it does pass just the precedent that it sets, um, that, that you know, they kind of already said it with wolves, but it was such a narrow victory. But if they can go back to the well again, then like other states are going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that too. You know, what's preventing us from doing that? And Washington state, I think, has similar ballot initiative uh, stuff in their history. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's very... It's a very, uh, a very scary reality that we could just be saying, you know, all these biologists that we pay, we don't need them. We're going to just let the populations manage the wildlife. And then we all know what the outcome is. The wildlife loses. We all lose. Animals lose. Hunters lose. Conservationists lose. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, you it's can't not manage to me, maddening. Is it not maddening that they can't understand that? Like, if you don't manage them, they lose. Right. Like, <laughs> I think this is different than Colorado wolves, though. So reintroduction, when you look at reintroduction numbers and uh, restoring endangered species, public supports like not in the 90 percentile. Oh, that's right? a good point. Yeah. And so hunting generally is in the 80 percentile, right? 75 to 80 percent, 85, depending on the year. Trophy hunting, that number is low, right? right. So. It's it's a misunderstanding. I shot a doe yesterday. I got up yesterday, drove an hour and a half, went to a public area, shot a doe in Kansas, cleaned it, skinned it, brought it home, cut it up, you know, and that's a trophy, right? I enjoyed, that's my trophy. That's the first deer I've shot this year, maybe the only deer I shot this year. Mm -hmm. So it, it isn't like antlers, it's the feeling of having gone out and got some food for myself. Right. Yeah. And I think, so there's the, there's that messaging too, in addition, when you talk about trophies. So mm-hmm. trophy hunting though, just generally, if you, if you said that to the average person, what do they think that is? It's shooting some big antler deer or, you know, an African, African species right, with yeah. tusks, you know, mm-hmm. and then also a misperception that people have that, the meat of the rest of the animals wasted just because you trophy hunt yeah. doesn't mean that the animal's not utilized in, in right. its entirety. The meat's part of the trophy. Like, I right. mean, I, I, we ate that mountain lion. It was great. Um, and I, you know, I always said I only wanted to kill one mountain lion. No, I, that lasted for about five years. I, I love going with the dogs and I want to do it again. Like I want to get the big Tom. I, I really do. Um, 
I think maybe after that, I, I'd probably still go if someone else wanted to, to hunt, but I don't know. Maybe I'm full of crap because I, I love chasing those hounds through the mountains. It's, it's the, in the dogs, the way the dogs love it. I mean, it's just the same as my, my lab that loves to fetch ducks and, uh, the appeal of hunting with, with any kind of four-legged is, I mean, that's, I think that's why I fell in love with, with hunting to begin with. Um, and I highly recommend if you, if you haven't had the, had that experience, then maybe put it on your bucket list soon because all across the West, they're trying to take that experience away from us. Right. That's true. I have not hunted cats and I would, I'd like to go mountain lion hunting, but Mm -hmm. uh, my wife actually wants to go more than I do. Oh, that's awesome. And she's pretty excited about that. So we just haven't figured that out yet. We're, We're making it. Yeah. Well, okay. So they've got to, they've got to push this through. They've got to get the the signatures, which I assume they will do. And then we, as a hunting community, conservation community, we have to, I think, dig deeper than ever and try to collectively get the messaging out there that, Hey, we can't let, because where's the, where's the tipping point? Once they get their, the toe, like in the door, they're going to kick it down. Right. I mean, that's the goal. It isn't about cats in colorado ultimately to them right it's going all the way yeah yeah so this is a big one i think uh very important and and it won't be the last time that we talk about this i guarantee you that uh on this show and we'll probably have you back on as 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 uh the situation changes it is fluid leading up to the the ballot initiative in november so i appreciate you jumping on and shedding some light on this thing and uh i i'm i'm assuming you're going to be at well you'll be, i know you'll be in nashville in february so we'll get to oh, yeah. shake hands there and yeah looking forward to that meeting you there as well yep me too nashville's okay. gonna be great yeah it was awesome last year it's gonna be even better this year yeah, it was Chris, i look forward to meeting you then have a great rest of the season merry christmas and uh, we'll talk to you very soon thanks cable so there he goes sci's western Big game liaison for government affairs, Chris Timerson. Coming up next, we will head down to Sonora, Mexico for some coos deer hunting. My buddy Sawyer Herndon joins us right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Digging that sound. That is the Red Clay Strays. Forgive the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Funny little uh, anecdote there regarding the Red Clay Strays. Uh, Sawyer, our, our guest who's joining us here momentarily, uh, we were flying back from Mexico 
on Sunday night. The Cowboys were playing the Eagles, and so everyone, it was crazy, everyone was on their phone on the flight. They had free basic channels or whatever. So everyone's watching the game. Uh, the Cowboys are stomping the Eagles. I know y'all are like, the Cowboys suck, whatever. The last time they won the Super Bowl, I was in sixth grade, 1995. I get it. It's been a dry spell, uh, but I'm a Cowboys ride or die. That's that's my team. And so when you're playing the hated Eagles, when you're killing them, it's like, man, I got I'm soak up every minute of this. And so um, we get to the airport. We arrive at like 945 at night, and the game's in the fourth quarter. I call Aaron, and I'm like, hey, honey, you know, I haven't seen you in like four days. Are you up for a little uh, rutting activity? And she's like, no. My alarm goes off at 4.30. I got to go to work, boy. So I said, well, do you care if I watch the rest of the game then? She's like, no. Dude, knock yourself out. Give me a kiss when you get home. Love you. Enjoy it. So uh, I know she's a saint. So I actually sat down at a bar at the airport that I arrived at in my hometown <laughs> And it's like the uh, Louis C.K. bit where he's like, I ordered a Cinnabon at the airport I arrived at before I got in the cab to go home. Uh, so that's me on Sunday night. I'm sitting at the uh, bar watching the Cowboys just dismantle the Eagles. And the dude next to me, we start visiting, and he's like, man, I used to live in Louisville, Texas. I had to move back home to Alabama, but I just missed the the Texas country music scene. And I was like, well, dude, have you heard of uh, William Beckman? You know, he's kind of this up-and-comer, this crooner. I'm actually taking Aaron to see tomorrow night for our uh, 15-year anniversary. A late celebration because we got married during the actual deer rut. Uh, so we're going to see that, spend the night out, uh, hotel, kid-free. Um, but I was telling him about William Beckman. He's like, well, if you like that kind of sound, then you got to check out the Red Clay Strays. They're from Alabama, and they're awesome. So I said, you know what? I'm going to listen to them when I get in the Uber to go home. And I did, and dude, I just fell in love with it and listening to it at the Deer Lease all this past week. Um, yeah, check it out if you haven't. If you're not a fan, I think you will be. It's very unique, and the dude's a Christian, the lead singer, um, which I like when people are open about their faith, and uh, he's got an amazing voice. So they've got a new fan in me, anyway. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by NUMA. And the Pathfinder pant, it's what I wore on the airplane. It's also what I wore to hunt when I got off the airplane. It is the most versatile pant that I've ever worn. It uh, keeps those mesquite thorns, those briars at bay. It's comfortable. It's got room in the crotch, fellas. You're not always having to adjust down there. Uh, Absolutely love it. It's comfy, it's stretchy, and it's rugged all at the same time. You can get it in uh, khaki, gray, or like olive green. And uh, you can find it at NumaOutdoors.com. Save uh, ten, no, 20% off your entire NUMA order with my promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at NumaOutdoors.com. With that being said, uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to the conversation I recorded with my good friend Sawyer Herndon sitting in our trailer in a Mexican deer camp last week. Sawyer, how long have we known each other, man? Whew, 10 plus years. Yeah. Roughly 10, 11, 12 years. Was when we went on that mule deer hunt. Yeah, out in West Texas. Yeah, West Texas. Well, one of the worst hunts I've been on. You wouldn't go back with no, our outfitter there? No, I don't think I would. No. I won't throw, hey, throw him under the bus. We hunted but, hard. Yeah, we did. Uh, but at the end of the day, when there's, what were there, four hunters and nobody fired a shot? Yeah, so yeah. Four, five hunters. Yeah. Six hunters. hunters. No, we didn't have that uh, We didn't have that situation here in old Mexico. No, we didn't. On this trip. so It is still a hard hunt, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And we'll talk about that, but just a little bit about you. Uh, you served in the military in Afghanistan and then uh, started working in the in the real world. And big game hunting is your passion. And, and as a result, you've become quite the uh, global adventurer. Yeah, I um, did eight years in the U.S. Navy. I was a CB. I... Uh, did three deployments and I don't know if it was that or or just a, the general you know enjoyment of travel but it's kind of a taking me abroad with hunting and mm-hmm. um, you know I uh, I got out of the Navy and joined the construction industry and thankfully have a wife that supports my passion and mm-hmm. it's a uh, kind of what I do every uh, every free second I get yeah what was the best thing about your time serving and what was the worst thing uh, the best thing was probably the people and the camaraderie, mm-hmm. like the brotherhood and sisterhood with, uh, the people you're serving with and just the uh, sense of accomplishment as a team. You just, you don't really find that anywhere else. Uh, not that you can't find anywhere else. But, but your life's me. not literally in the hands of other people in the work environment. And I think there has to be a level of trust there. I mean, I don't know. I didn't serve, but it's, it seems like it's whatever the, the modern person feels like a part of a team extrapolate that times sure sure yeah we had uh, more than just uh telling each other good job or what have you we had to like literally have each other's backs and have confidence that we had each other's backs and Mm -hmm. you know we were gonna do whatever it took to be successful in our mission Mm -hmm. and um you know i'd say probably uh yeah that's the best thing for sure Mm -hmm. the worst uh probably is just uh leaving family that's that's tough especially if you're a family man or family Mm -hmm. woman it's tough, uh, especially for, you know, extended durations of time, eight, 10, 12 months. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything that beats that. Oh yeah. I mean, you made massive sacrifices and, and, you know, God bless your wife as well. You, you, you left her, I think eight months pregnant, missed the birth of your firstborn. I mean, that's, that's tough. What's the longest you've been away from your family on, uh, on one of your hunting adventures? Ooh. Because those aren't e- easy either. Every time I go to Africa, it's like. No, they're. Yeah. I'm happy to go, right? But it's also a little bit sad, and and the kids look like they've grown an inch by the time you get back. <laughs> sure, and... you missed what three sports games, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't think I've been gone longer in two weeks. Uh-huh. I've been gone probably twelve days, okay, something like that, probably yeah. close to two weeks. I think mine's about that same time frame. But I uh, already have a trip with John X planned for this July, to South Africa, and then. I just got invited to go to Zimbabwe, and now I'm looking at tacking that on the front end of the trip, and now we're looking at closer to three weeks. My wife's like, seriously, man? <laughs> yeah, that's God a tough one. Aaron. That's yeah. hard to pass up opportunities like that, especially uh-huh. when you're already there. Right. When yeah. in Rome, right? Yeah. Um, but it is a dream of mine to see another country in Africa, you know, less explored, less modern. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Zimbabwe is on every, you know, big game trophy hunters mm-hmm. list as well. Yeah, well, uh, my wife not going to be the biggest fan of it, but you know she's a saint. So um, take us to Uzbekistan, a place that I don't think most people even know, you know, where it is on a map. But uh, you went on a hunt over there recently. Yeah, it's a Mid Asian ibex, and it was technically in the Tian Shan mountain range. So it's the Tian Shan uh, Mid Asian ibex. Per SEI record book, they're just slightly bigger. Uh, uh, size requirements for the to make record books so they're i guess a slightly bigger version isolated to the tian shan mountains it was a heck of a hunt it was a tough hunt you know high altitude 
I don't think a lot of people have considered hunting in Uzbekistan. No, it's kind of a diamond in the rough. Um, it used to be part of the Soviet Union until mm-hmm. what 1990 or and um, you know so you have a mix of Russian culture with uh, some of the um, Arabic culture and all in all the people what would you th- are really nice they're really really friendly people mm-hmm. um, it's one of the rated one of the friendliest countries in the world um, great people it's some great hunting they know how to get on them ibex and they have some other really cool unique species to that area so extreme mountain hunting though yeah it's definitely i mean you're not up at sixteen thousand feet like you are with marco polo but you're you're ten thousand you know he was 10 years old so that's a trophy in itself which they try and shoot 10 plus year old uh specimens and so i was happy as could be with that and we both would describe ourselves as trophy hunters but i think and it's no secret, anyone that listens to this show knows, like, we talk about how the anti-hunters have taken that term and made it something nasty, right? Like, we say, oh, I'm a hunter. Most people are like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I don't hunt myself, but that seems fine, you know? But you say, I'm a trophy hunter, and they're like, whoa, 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 you just kill the animal and leave it there. You don't even, t- all you do is take the horns and you waste the meat. And it's like, well, no, the trophy is three things for me. It's, yeah, it's, of course it's the horns or antlers, but it's the meat and it's the experience. And all those three things combined that's the trophy. Then you don't even. Yeah. Then you have to think about the impact, the financial impact, on the region or city or community or camp that you're hunting in, and it's profound. Yeah, that's um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's an unfortunate like stigma of mm-hmm. like trophy hunting is is a negative thing. I personally consider myself like a maybe pulling a page of, from Tom Miranda's book or what have you, but I consider myself like an adventure trophy hunter. Mm-hmm. I love traveling. I love conservation. I love shooting or at least trying to target, you know, big mature specimens of the species, the right, the right the, animal, the to, right take. animals yeah. to take. I, d- I don't, you know, I, n- I don't like shooting immature animals or, or what have you. Um, but something that you mentioned, you know, a lot of people associate trophy hunters with just taking the horns and so on and so forth. And sometimes that is the case, but it's only the case Say that. that those that are not hunting see, you know, behind right. the scenes. Think about last night, you know, we got back with this, you know, little coos deer that weighs 100 pounds or what have you. And how happy were the the cowboys that live here and the yeah. couple of guides to get that meat? You know, it's kind of like a, it's a, a, a treat for them. Mm-hmm. And also it literally helps them live you know it helps sustain their food that that they need and um you know so me personally i i i get enjoyment of shooting an animal that you know my guides or the cowboys or whoever's living on the ranch can you know actually use that animal more so than i could you know Mm -hmm. i eat it as a commodity i don't eat it to survive i mean these people really you know, take that meat and cherish it and it, it really helps them survive. So, and that doesn't just go for here that, you yeah. know, you, you, you've been a few places. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, that's something that it's yeah. tough it to transcends wherever you are. If, if you are in, I, I, I would say certainly a third world country. Uh, Absolutely. that's the sustenance that the, that they're going to use to survive. Um, I don't know that anyone out there just shoots stuff and just leaves it. Maybe an Audad. The first Audad I shot, I'd heard they were terrible. I think we just took the back straps. I, I openly admit it. Sure. Cooked them. It wasn't terrible. Next mm-hmm. one I shot, I had it uh, processed. And it, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like you're eating an Axis deer. But no. uh, it was edible. Sure, so, sure. Um, um, but totally it, as, right. as far as 
hunting in Sonora. This is this is my second time. I came last year and hunted mule deer. How many times have you been here? Ooh, uh, I've been coming for five years. I think uh, maybe nine or ten trips. Uh huh. Wow. <laughs> so you're you're a veteran of the the coos deer uh, experience. And what is it, what is it about these little? And there are subspecies of whitetail. Yes. And they live they live in basically where the desert meets the the small mountains. Yep. Yep. Um, what is it about them specifically that keeps you coming back? Yeah, it's just a great hunt, great people. Um, for some reason, whenever I was a kid, I got a hold of a couple coos hunting DVDs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, being a Texas whitetail hunter, I really don't know what drew me to those coos deer, but I really just always enjoyed the thought of hunting coos deer in the like desert mountains. And, uh, you know, whenever I was finally in a position in life to do so, it didn't disappoint. And mm-hmm. I just... It's something I can't see myself stopping doing. Kind of going back to the military, the teamwork uh, mentality. You see, like, we work as a team Mm -hmm. uh, on this hunt, setting up on multiple different mountaintops and glass and all talking to each other. And we're all high-fiving and, you know, happy whenever there's success, and we're all disappointed when there's not. So one of those things uh, is what keeps me coming back. Obviously, the people that I'm surrounded with, great people, great food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the coos deer itself it's they're beautiful big mature coos everyone's different um everyone's got some great character and they're just a tough animal to hunt it's really a an accomplishment to shoot a big mature coos yeah. especially a record bookish type uh type coos which is what we try and target um yeah. you know those yeah, they have amazing genetics here uh, certainly on this ranch and we're hunting with jm snore and outfitters our friend jorge um but they are a lot smaller, like you said. Uh, put it into perspective. What is a what is a trophy coos deer? And it's all relative, but like, say, what is all time whitetail is one hundred and seventy inches or something like that. One hundred and seventy all time for a whitetail in comparison. Boone and Crockett, uh, yeah. Uh, all time uh, Boone and Crockett score on a coos is one ten. A typical coos. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a lot of hunters consider a 90 plus inch coos, like a a trophy mm-hmm. size coos. Obviously, you get over that 100 inch, you're that's a that's a special mark for a lot of coos hunters getting that 100 inch uh, Boone and Crockett Awards type caliber deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, really, you just start getting over that 110 mark, and and certainly anything over 120 is just a giant. But 110 plus. You know, Boone and Crockett has has obviously set that as a standard because they mm-hmm. felt you know through so like their a research. sixty inch difference. So yep. you shoot a hundred and ten inch coos uh, deer, and that's the equivalent of you know a hundred and seventy inch whitetail. These deer are just smaller. They live in this what you would think by looking at it is this uninhabitable terrain, uh, and the the headgear obviously reflects the body size. Let's pay some bills, knock out our last break here. Uh, we'll come back, continue talking snoring, coos deer hunting, uh, plus a bow hunting legend shared camp with us. Uh, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. That's where my coos buck is headed. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for a long time, doing all of my taxidermy work for a dozen years. They do amazing work. They answer the phone when you call. And they've got locations in San Antonio and Marion, which is right outside of New Braunfels. So from a, uh, a coos deer to an entire African safari to uh, a giant snook that my wife caught off the Florida coast, if you want a replica, 
they excel there as well. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Watching my honey string Christmas lights and sing along to deck the halls. Ain't Kathy and Uncle Joe are putting tinsel on the tree. They came all the way from Texas just to see our little miracle sleeping down the hall. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. All right, this is Phil Robertson, better known as the Duck Commander. This is the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, presented by Mossberg. Thanks for being here today. We're still visiting with my good friend and passionate big game hunter, world traveler, Sawyer Herndon, and we will continue talking coos deer hunting momentarily. This segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders, Blinds, and Barbecue Pits and Smokers. You can find their entire lineup. Uh, they've got everything you need for your deer camp or deer lease. Uh, you can find it all at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, well, let's pick it back up with our good buddy, Sawyer. The buck that I shot, beautiful, clean, eight-point. Dude, I mean, and just the the hours behind the glass that goes into this, I mean, you, you better bring a spotting scope and, or some nice binos, and all the guides put their binos on tripods. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a glassing session every time you go out. It is. Um, but when you did it, when you had the success, like you mentioned, those guys are trying to get in that photo. Because they're so jacked up, and they're like, this, yep. you know, it's a team. And, and I think that was something that uh, really was appealing to me as well. They call it their deer. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, they whenever they're showing pictures and stuff, they say, I shot this deer. Right. You know, yeah. not like I brought a hunter and my hunter shot this. They're so proud of it. It's, that's their deer, too. Yeah, yeah, 100%. They do the same thing in Africa. You're like, they'll say, you can hear the PHs talking on the radio. It's like, oh, I just killed a nice Inyala. You know, like, well, right. the hunter killed it, right? But <laughs> right. you were the guide, and you're taking pride in that, and you should. Uh, should do so. Um, I, I think you know they work hard and they take pride in putting you on a mature animal. Um, yep. But it's not easy. And so the buck that I ended up shooting was one that uh, we had photos of. And think about put it into perspective. This is wide open. Uh, it, it reminds people, you know, the, the vegetation looks a lot like South Texas. <coughs> a lot of brush, not very many trees at all. No. And then you get up into the small mountains. And it's just shrubs and stuff. It's hard to think how these animals can have such great great genetics here when it, it looks like the landscape's barren of like food, right? Yeah, <laughs> the same thing we say about South Texas, <laughs> right? Until you get down in there, or and, mule deer here, or the know? mule deer here. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, you had a uh, you'd actually you liked the deer that I shot because it's a clean eight point. Yep. Um, 
And then we kind of flip-flopped, and you ended up shooting this beautiful drop time that you kind of said, I think Cable will like this one. Yep. But there's, like, you don't just get to pick these deer out. Like, no. There was pictures of them at a water hole, basically. Sure. But then they could be anywhere in, you know, a couple square mile radius. So uh, finding them is the trick. Yep. And then we got on the buck. The buck that I actually shot was an accident. We were hunting. We were trying to get on that drop time, and someone on a different ridge had seen him. So we're trying to close the distance. Like, I think we hiked like a mile. Then all of a sudden, Jorge, who you were hunting with, was like, there's a buck right under Martin and Cable. Yep. And so going back to the teamwork, we had no idea. We couldn't see that yeah, buck. Yeah, right under was, y'all. Yeah. Uh, but we ended up just literally, I think, slipping in about 50 yards closer and then shot him at 180 yards. Yeah, and you can't ask for a better shot than that, Yeah, you know, on a coos hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then your deer, you shot the drop time that we got on that deer four different times. Four different times. It was a smart He's a smart one. He's smart. He's smart. And last <laughs> night he came out, you know, I think we spooked him real good last night mm-hmm. or two nights ago. And, uh, you know, yesterday. Well, you actually shot at him. And I was like, I'm not taking that shot because uh, I didn't have a, you, you had a nice uh, tripod set up with your gun. And it was like 515 yards. And I was like, eh, I'd rather be prone if I'm going to do that. Sure. And there's, you know, there was just no way to make that happen. And light's fading. And um, it wasn't, I, I was like. Mm, I'm gonna give you fifty fifty on this one. Yeah, you know, but yeah, no, it was a uh, it was one of those you know quick shot opportunities. Oh, uh, yeah. Obviously not ideal. Lighting conditions were mm-hmm. fading, and uh, you know he was beyond five hundred yards. A little more every time. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, and so he 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 came out of that different canyon, you know, last night, and came in for a drink, and just gave us that one last opportunity we needed. And unfortunately, while he was closer, you know, he wasn't. Wasn't too much closer. Yeah, he, was I was hoping for a two. I was hoping for a two hundred yard shot, and uh-huh. and he popped out at, and the closest he got was four eighty, and I knew that was as close as he was going to get. So yeah, I uh, recalibrated and and squeezed the trigger. Yeah, well, both of them are amazing, amazing deer. Uh, Frank Noska, who I like, I've heard of Frank, right? But uh, you you actually met him last year here. Yep. So Frank is the only bow hunter to do the. Uh, to take all 29 North American species with a bow twice. twice. And he's working on his third. Yes. Yes. Uh, you talk about a guy who found his passion and pursued it. The dude has no children. He just got married. He's 56 years old. Yep. Hell of a guy. He's, he we is. enjoyed talking to him time. every night. Um, but uh, when we got back with, I guess we went hunting for you after we shot my deer. And we got back and Frank had already scored it. He's official SCI scorer, yep. Luna Crockett scorer. And uh, he's like... You know, one eleven gross, uh, one oh nine and change net. So, pretty clean eight point. Oh yeah, it's like shooting a a hundred and seventy inch eight point whitetail. It's it really is insane. It may not look the same, but right. to the in the coos world, mm-hmm. that's a, a incredible accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. There's and and then your drop time buck, uh, super unique. Have you seen a lot of coos with a drop time? No, you know they're out there. There's yeah. a couple shot each year. I'm sure you know. Last year I shot that uh, shot that buck off the same ranch that had the the double main beam, right? Who who was pretty unique, and that yeah. was kind of not that he was a big deer. But Jorge had told me he said Sawyer, he said I've seen a lot of deer, I've only seen two deer with double main beam. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, he's a so I you know, uh, drop time's pretty just like in the whitetail world, but uh, yeah. there's less coup shot than whitetail because sure the range of them so it's a it's a pretty unique trophy for yeah. sure 
And he'll probably go in that 110 to 115 range. Somewhere in there. We haven't put a tape on him, but, you know, we've looked at enough of these. He's going to be right in there. Yeah. Well, see, and all this is kind of like, you know, I, I score my whitetail, right? Um, but I've never really paid a lot of attention to whether something goes in the record books. Like, the, I was telling you, this mountain reed buck, because I'm trying to get you to come to Africa with me at some point. Right. This mountain reed buck I shot was, like, over eight inches, and... Carl and Loie, the, the PHs I, w- I was with, were having this like almost religious moment with this this animal. And ten minutes earlier, I didn't know what the animal was. It was my <laughs> right. first safari, and Carl's like, "Please shoot that! You have to shoot that!" And it was one of those things where, you know, you take what Africa gives you. I didn't have it on my list, but they were like, "This is an amazing trophy. Please, you know." And then they were like, "Please shoulder mount it." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's European mounted." In my- <laughs> but. They loved it, and I will always. That was what I took away with from from that experience was sure. how much it meant to them. Yep. Um, but it would have been gold medal, like way up there in the record books, and I just I never entered it or anything. So, um, that's not how Frank rolls, though. No, definitely not. <laughs> if Frank's talking to you in score, it's a net. Yeah. Don't even talk about right. gross score to to Frank. I'm, I'm usually talking about gross. Me too. Right? Me me too. Frank will correct you, yeah, or he'll he ask will. you. You talking about net or gross? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's pretty official. I got to get Frank on the podcast. He gave us his number uh, just to talk about some of his experiences. That yeah, we we picked his brain and what about probably heard point zero zero one of his hunting stories, and he's got some some really unique knowledge and experience for sure. All with a bow. All with a bow. He does a lot of solo hunts himself. Mm -hmm. I asked him what when was the last time he shot something with a rifle, and he's like. It's like I think I shot my first three deer like in sixth grade with a rifle. Yep. I'm like sixth grade. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he comes out here every year. Every year for this is his sixteenth season, and he spends like six weeks. Spends six weeks out here. Mm-hmm. He incredible. runs. He runs some. You know, some bow hunters mm-hmm. through camp and. Yeah, well, and the thing about Sonora is, you know, you get on the plane from Hermosillo or to Hermosillo from Phoenix, and. Last year, when I was here in January, every person on that plane was a hunter. And I know you'll be on that plane again here in the very near future, uh, chasing coos. And uh, I think mule deer as well. Have you shot a big Sonoran mule deer yet? I have not. I yeah. I have not. This um, we're hoping to get on, get on one this year. You know, we spent a couple of days before before you came, but it was really, you know, trying to hunt two days for a big two hundred inch type, you yeah. know, mule deer just. It, you know a lot of things got to ha- fall in place for you and it didn't so but there was a guy that shot a 229 <laughs> while yeah, you were there there was there was a guy that shot a 229 gross and a 208 wow. the the day before so um incredible Sedora produces the yeah. giants there's no doubt about that yeah there's no doubt uh the food is good and the the camaraderie at camp amazing um Highly recommend Sonora if uh, if you're looking for. I mean, they really have three things on here: coos, it was gonna be the most affordable, yeah. then mule deer, and then uh, desert bighorn sheep. So, uh, oh, I, don't forget the Gould's turkey. Oh yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. for everybody, we have but, that too. Uh, yeah. but Jorge you know, that, that is a great hunt as well. Usually comboed with uh, some bass fishing and predator hunting. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a good t- good camp as well. Oh, dude, there's no shortage of coyotes, and we found. Well, we personally didn't find it, but we measured a deadhead that you think you saw last year. Yep. And this thing, I mean, the mass, everything that's going on with this deer, it looks like uh, if you shot a 190-inch Midwestern whitetail deer. Yep. But just shrink it down. 
by a third, right? I mean, it, we, you you taped it out and it it grossed one thirty three, one thirty three and change. It's a uh, it's a truly a world class coos deer. Amazing. It's a it's a great buck. It's yeah. a, it's a shame that uh, the Cowboys found it from either the coyotes or the uh mountain lion they think it was the coyotes from mm-hmm. from the location they found it down in the flats but um damn dang shame uh but you know it was it's nice to be able to put your hands on a deer of that caliber in fact i think i'm going to take it home and and make a replica of it it's just yeah. a beautiful deer i got to got to preserve it yeah you know um what about as far as traveling to mexico to go hunting in in Sonora, and if you're thinking about it, but you're like, oh, I don't know if my wife would let me go to Mexico just from you know cartel activity or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, you know, uh, probably the same thing. Frank, you know, mentioned, and you know, he's been coming down here 16 years, and he's never had a bad experience, never had a run in. I've been coming down here five years, I've never had a bad experience or a run in. And mm-hmm. personally, I've I've flown in multiple times. I've drove across the border in Nogales multiple times, and I, you know, I guess my advice is, is that it can be as safe as you want to make it mm-hmm. right. You, you listen to, to your guides or you keep yourself in a safe environment and, um, cross at the big border checkpoints, uh, probably safer than, uh, maybe some of the smaller outposts. Um, you know, and then when flying in and if you, if you stay in the city, yeah, you, you typically stay at a hotel that has a restaurant in it and, you pretty much you you go do that and let your guides pick you up in the morning and or and then take you out to the ranch. You're gonna be mm-hmm. fine, you know. If you want to go find trouble, I'm I don't know where it's at, but right. I'm sure it's somewhere out there. But just, it's pretty safe. And it, there's it, not a lot of of cartel activity going on here compared to other places along the border. No, um, and you're not messing around. You, you're going straight from the airport to the ranch. So, yep. Uh, and and really the thing is, the cartel doesn't want to mess with American hunters. Because they don't want that heat brought on them. Yeah. Like they, they just don't. Like what you have a nice rifle, that's nothing to them. They don't want your thousand dollars you brought for gratuity or whatever it is, five hundred bucks, whatever you brought. They don't that's pennies to them. They no. do not care. They, and they don't they don't want to mess with American hunters. It's when something happens, if it does, it's just but, but you know. Yeah, chance. you know, and the hunting season is like a top ten economic industry for them oh, in, yeah. in for down here in Sonora. So um Hunters are never the target if there were to be a cartel presence, but you know, yeah. coming down here as long as I have, they just uh, the the locals here tell me that it's just never been a yeah. a big don't want to mess with cartel stronghold here in Sonora. And um, I did ask the landowner uh, Esteban if he and he's a rancher. Yep, has two hundred head of cattle or whatever. Is there more money to be made in ranching or or? Cattle. He said, oh, by far, hunt. I mean, sorry, uh, hunting or ranching. And he said, by far, hunting. Make. I mean, because Americans want to come down here and, and have this experience that you can't, you can't really have anywhere else in the world no. to get this quality of animal. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a one of a kind, very unique situation that they have here, and uh, and they've done well, and they've really done a nice job uh, as far as the management is concerned. They have strict quotas. Yep. They're not. They're trying to only shoot really mature animals. Yep. Um, Sonora's uh, either like ninety-seven or ninety-nine percent privately owned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the landowners have and outfitters have have really done a good job trying to manage the land uh, for quality. Um, 
you know, for best quality for their herd, whether if that's the quantity you're measuring or the size of, um, they've really done a good job maximizing mm-hmm. the, uh, their resources down here. So I say the only drawback from this trip is just the butt pee that's has been associated with it. <laughs> like, uh, the Montezuma's revenge got me on day two, no day three. We we're hiking up the mountain and, uh, I think we were just taking turns and be like, well, I'll see you in five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah we were uh, playing musical chairs if we would have had a toilet up there for sure. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Uh, I already got an antibiotic lined up for when I get home, but yeah, you need. But it. you know what? I would do it all again. I don't. It doesn't. It is what it is, right? Little, we had a good time. A little trot ain't gonna stop me from coming back <laughs> here. Uh, but that's just the roll of the dice. Whenever you travel anywhere, uh, it is. It is one of those. It's called traveler's diarrhea for a reason. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, Corey Knowlton, I don't know if you know yep. Corey. Yeah, he's a rock he, wall boy, right? He's what? A rock wall boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a good friend, and uh, he's traveled more for oh, hunting yeah. than you know. He's in the point zero whatever percent of people that have traveled the world for for oh, yeah. hunting. He was telling me about this one story. Uh, he told it on the air. Him and his brother were hunting some kind of sheep in Tajikistan. And like they were just crapping their pants because it was just relentless. And the food was like the food was terrible. And <laughs> really contaminated. Really. Oh yeah. And they didn't have enough water. And they're hunting in the mountains, and it was hot, and they're dehydrated, and they're just like, oh like, man, that sounds miserable. Yeah, it, was so bad. it pales in compare. I mean, what what I've got going on pales in comparison to that experience. But yeah, that doesn't I was sound just fun. Dying, laughing uh, when he was telling that story. Uh, but yeah, man, highly recommend Sonora. Um, check out uh, JM Sonoran Outfitters. Our friend Jorge does an amazing job. He's been doing this a long time. Has guided hundreds of mule deer and coos deer, and then has also he's taken over uh, fifty sheep. He said fifty sheep. So you're talking about someone that's got a lot of experience. Uh, our guide Martin that got us um, was with us when each of us shot uh, is in that same same boat you know? yeah i think that martin shot over 100 sheep is what they say okay yeah. so uh, like martin shot them well right? yes yeah it was Mar- <laughs> right. they were martins okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah you're gonna get a, a great experience uh if you want to if you want to come hunt in sonora um well i appreciate it man thanks for including me on yeah this thanks adventure. for coming yeah i we look had a forward blast. to uh, our next time in camp and and uh there's many more stories to uh, unfold in the future no doubt thanks for coming Absolutely. So there you have it. Everything you need to know about chasing giant coos deer. It's, it's like an oxymoron, giant coos deer, because they're such small animals uh, relative to our whitetail back home. But they are absolutely gigantic as far as the antlers are concerned. Uh, it's truly a one-of-a-kind place and an awesome hunting experience. If you like glassing and western big game spot and stock style hunting, um, you're not going to beat it. That segment was brought to you by Armasite. And the 640 Contractor Thermal Rifle Scope. I've been taking mine out. Uh, man, the pigs, they're just, they just don't stand a chance, to be frank. It's, uh, it's not even fair. But the body count is getting up there. And it is the most user-friendly thermal rifle scope that I've ever gotten to mess around with. Uh, absolutely love it. Diverse color palette. The interface is, I mean, it's so simple. Cable can use it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, internal recording right there. Uh, so get all your footage captured. It's really just a, an absolute stud of a unit. And right now they're offering a 10% rebate, uh, instant rebate. If you purchase one during the month of December, you can find the 640 contractor at armasite.com. 
Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Chris Timerson of SCI, as well as Sawyer Herndon. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith. Merry Christmas, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Happy holiday while the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holiday to you.